Today's October 26th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan, and I am fired the hell up about a lot of things in the world of boxing, mostly negative. Usually I try to keep it positive on this podcast, but how can you remain positive when the biggest fight in this sport is completely dead in the water? It is not taking place. I'm talking about Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr. For all the marbles at 147, the glamour division of this sport for the past 20 years or so is not taking place. This fight has completely stalled out. There was rumors that it was going to happen in November around Thanksgiving. Then it was kind of pushed back to December. Then we're hoping for early 2023. Well, all that talk is completely dead. And we probably won't be getting this fight ever at this point because Terrence Crawford went out of his way to move on to smaller and worse things. Usually it's bigger and better. No, Terrence Crawford chose the opposite route this time. He is fighting David Abnevisian on a random new app called BLK Prime on pay-per-view in December. Who is David Abnevisian? Exactly. Um, of course I've heard of him. I'm not going to completely disrespect this guy. He's a decent fighter. He has good pop, but he is he is not on the level of a Terrence Bud Crawford. He's not in the same caliber. He should not be fighting Terrence Crawford at this point in Terrence Crawford's career. This is ridiculous. This is embarrassing to the sport. It's a slap in the face. It's a reason people bash this game because we get stuff like this every once in a while. When we're having a great era, I call this the golden age. We're getting some of the biggest fights we've gotten in a long time in the past couple of years. And when it comes to the biggest, when it comes to the one that everyone wants to see, it looks like we're not going to get it. Like, you just can't keep doing that consistently and gain new fans. You're always going to have the hardcores, but stuff like this holds the sport back, and it's it's tough to come in here and defend it because there's no defending this. Terrence Crawford has to get most of the blame here. Terrence Crawford is the one who stopped negotiations and went on his own and made his own deal with a subpar fight. A fight that no one's asking for, a fight that nobody wants to see, a fight that no one's going to see, quite frankly, except for the people that are in attendance, people in his hometown, his family, in other words. He's the one who did that. He's the one who was shopping around for opponents all the way back in June. Why are you shopping around for opponents when you have the super fight right in front of you? You have the only opponent you need to worry about right now, and that's Earl Spence Jr. You have him. You're in talks with him. Why are you even going and looking for other fights? Unless he was going to look for some big fight, some super fight, okay, that's fine. Have a backup plan that's going to equal your 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 first plan, your major plan. Why are you negotiating with other people? Why are you talking to an app called BLK Prime, which sounds like it's a damn porn site? Why are you doing that when you have Showtime and Al Heyman and Fox all right in front of you, willing to do big business. And this guy's worried about speaking directly to Al Heyman, something he wasn't even doing with his own former boss, Bob Arum. So why are you going to come into this new relationship, this new company, and just think you're going to talk to the head guy when your lawyers were already negotiating? So you don't trust your own lawyers? Maybe that's on you. Maybe you shouldn't hire people you don't trust if that's the case. Why are you demanding things that are far-fetched, like $22 million and things like that. I talk about this being the biggest fight in the sport. This is a huge fight in the sport. It's not a huge fight outside the sport. You walk down the street or you talk to someone at your job and you mention, do you know who Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence Jr. are? 
chances are they're not going to know. Unless they're a diehard boxing fan, they're not going to know. The guy at the gas station isn't going to know who Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford are. They, they just probably are not going to do it. This is a niche sport. It's very tough to find super, uh, superstars that transcend the sport. These aren't those guys. So $22 million, I get asking for it, but I don't know if you're going to get that as a guarantee. This is a fight that was negotiated under percentages. You're going to get a percentage of the revenue. What's the revenue going to be? We don't know yet. We need to see how well it gets promoted. We need to see how the live gate does. We need to see how the pay-per-view sales are. We need to see that happen after the fact. You can't just predict a number and give him a guarantee when Terrence Crawford historically hasn't done big business. Errol Spence has done much better business than Terrence Crawford. So, of course, Terrence Crawford is going to get a smaller piece of the pie, but it's a small piece of a gigantic pie. So you're still going to get plenty of money to go around, more than you've ever made in your life, Terrence. So why are you being so bashful when it comes to stepping in the ring with with Earl Spence? Earl Spence has done exactly like his nickname says. He's told the truth. And he has consistently told us his game plan. He wants to collect all the belts. Then he wants to come to Terrence Crawford for Undisputed. And he's done that. He's the one sticking by what he says. He's the one who got into a car accident and came back and fought Danny Garcia. He's the one who had eye surgery, came back and fought your Dennis Ugas immediately after. There were no tune-ups. This guy stepped right in the ring with dangerous, multi-time world championship fighters. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He went in there and did what he said he was going to do. Terrence Crawford is a guy who says he wants this fight. But it doesn't seem like he does. Because as much as he said he's want, he wants it, he's also been on record to say he doesn't need it. He's a Hall of Famer regardless. He's not waiting on Earl Spence. This and that. So one guy has been willing to make the fight. Terrence Crawford has consistently shown otherwise. It's hard to back this guy. It's hard to defend him when these reports come out from multiple different sources. And he's proven it with his actions Taking this Avnesian fight that nobody wants to see. I cannot stress it enough. It's horrible. That fight is complete ass garbage. You won't hear me talking about it again after this podcast. This is the promotion for that fight right here. Me talking about it is probably the most promotion this fight is going to get. Now enough about that fight. All I have to say is Terrence Crawford isn't making this Earl Spence fight happen. I do blame him. If you're not blaming him, then I want to know, are you on his mother's side or his father's side of the family? Because obviously you're a relative. That's the only way you can defend this. Terrence Crawford could have came to PBC or Al Heyman or whoever on the Spence side and said, listen, I got this deal in place, $10 million to fight Avnesian or whoever you say his name and see what they can do. Don't just do a deal behind everyone's back. It's just so clear to me that Crawford didn't want to negotiate, didn't want to make this fight by any means possible. He wanted an outrageous price to do it. So why doesn't he want to fight Errol Spence? I don't know. Am I going to sit here and say he's afraid of Errol Spence Jr.? I don't think he's afraid of anybody, but it's clear he doesn't want the fight. We don't know why. That's up for debate. I'm sure everyone listening has their own theory. I can't tell you why he doesn't want the fight, but I can tell you he doesn't want the fight. And he's telling us he doesn't want the fight. But we could sit here and be negative and throw the whole sport away and critique it for hours. We could talk about this literally 
for the next hour and a half and it won't get boring but it just it's just a space I don't really want to be in it's a space that to me is a waste of time because while we're focusing on the things that we're not getting that lets us get away from the things that we are getting we're still getting some really fun fights to end the year is it loaded no is it the big names all the time no it's not I'm not going to lie to you but what we are getting is some pretty damn good fights and that's to me, that's the point of watching. We watch for entertainment. We watch for competition. We're going to see some high-quality fights by great athletes, and they're going to deliver action, and it's going to be more bang for your buck. Not many pay-per-views left on the year, which is a good thing. So I think to close out 2022, we're going to get some great stuff. It's just, are we going to focus on the great stuff, or are we going to sit here and worry about things we're not getting? Because on the outside, it does look like, oh, the best aren't fighting the best. But when you've been watching the sport and following it, you know that you're getting more undisputed fights than you've gotten pretty much in the history of the sport. You're getting more unification bouts than ever before. You're getting more fights in general that are able to be seen worldwide than ever before. We could watch fights take place in Japan live, Australia, the UK, and their deep cards. We have more access now than ever before. A lot of things... You had to read about in papers to see results. Now, we're in a day and age where we can watch all these fights on different platforms, and it provides the fighters with alternative places to make money. Overall, the sport is extremely healthy. Like Larry Merchant said back in the HBO days, boxing is a sport you can't kill, but you also can't save. It is what it is. It's the wild, wild west is how I describe it. Anything goes here. You're going to see some ridiculous things that you'll never see in any other sport, but you're also going to see the things that you do see in other sports, which is top competition, championship-level performances, um, comebacks, underdog stories, all that stuff that make this a great sport. So let's focus on that. Let's focus on the fights that we are getting. Real quick, before we look forward, I want to look back a little bit to October 15th. October 15th, I think, will be remembered as one of the best days of boxing the entire year. It was a loaded day of boxing. Literally from early in the, if you're on the East Coast, from early in the day all the way past midnight. I'll start was probably the most notable fight of that day. That was the Deontay Wilder return against Robert Helanius. Knocked out Helanius in one round. I thought Wilder, of course it was only one round, you can't critique it too much. But I thought um, Wilder looked great. I thought Wilder moved really well. He looked light on his feet, which he did come in at 214 pounds, which is a little bit more of like a bridger weight. It's not really... Too many heavyweights at that weight this in this day and age. This is the era of the giant heavyweights where guys are weighing upwards of 250 pounds, close to 300 pounds. If you're Tyson Fury, you're weighing around 300 pounds. It's a giant era. It's really like a super heavyweight era. But Deontay Wilder, while he is 6'8", I believe, he comes in lighter, 20 pounds lighter than his previous two fights. He looked good, man. His hands looked fast. His reaction time was there. Again, only one round, though. We didn't get a chance to see the proverbial onion pulled back of Deontay Wilder's game and see what else he wanted to dish out. But we did see the main reason we watched Wilder, and that's the right hand. One of the most dangerous right hands in the history of boxing. And he didn't even need a full extension on it. It was a nice short right hand right down the pike. One punch is all it took to knock out Robert Helanius. Only three punches were landed in the entire round by Wilder, and it only took one. That is the type of things this guy delivers to the sport. Unlike anyone else, one punch is really all it takes from this guy, and he could put your lights out. 
He's knocked down every opponent that's been in the ring with him, and Robert Hellenius was no different. One punch, one right hand, that's all it took. He tried to corner Wilder. He tried to pressure him a little bit. He threw, or it looked like he was about to throw a combination. It's just Deontay Wilder landed first. Hellenius was too wide open. Can't do that against Deontay Wilder. You have to be pinpoint with your defense really at all times. You can't let your guard up for one second. It could be deep into the 12th round. You could be up 11-0, to zero, and Deontay Wilder can end you with one right hand. It's like walking a tightrope with this dude. That's what he brings to the sport. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad he seems healthy. I'm glad he came back with a bang. And now it's time to make some big fights in the division, and there's plenty to offer. You have Andy Ruiz, who looks like it's going to be the easiest fight to make. Both guys under the, under the PBC banner. Both guys fight on Fox pay-per-view, and Ruiz is coming off a couple of, of really good wins. So I think that makes the most sense, but I wouldn't be mad if he went another route. If he went to fight Joe Joyce, I think that would be an amazing fight. Two big, powerful punchers. Joe Joyce seems to walk through everything. Can he walk through a Deontay Wilder right hand? I don't know. I'd like to find out. I'd also like to see him in there with Otto Valin, a former opponent of Tyson Fury, a guy that cut... Tyson Fury's eye pretty badly and probably would have won that fight if it were in a different area code. If it was in a different state, um, a lot of commissions would have stopped the fight because of the bleeding. That would be a fight I'd be interested in for Deontay Wilder. I'd also like to see him in the ring with Alexander Usyk. Alexander Usyk said he'd be willing to fight Wilder. He also said he was going to show up at the fight. He did not show up. So Alexander Usyk, maybe you need to step in there with the bronze bomber. You said it was going to be an easy fight for you. I'd like to see it. 12 rounds of Usyk trying to walk that tightrope. Can he hang? Can he deliver? Can he survive a right hand from Deontay Wilder? I would love to see that one. There's plenty of options for Wilder. I'm just glad he's back. He shakes up the division. He brings something that nobody else brings. Oh, and also uh, Wilder Joshua, obviously, is something I'd like to see as well. Something that was hyped up years ago when both were undefeated. Now guys both have shown a vulnerability. They would still be a huge matchup, huge box office attraction in any arena in the world. So that is another one I'd like to see. But plenty of options for Wilder. We'll see what's next. Also on that card was Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant and Anthony Durrell had a good fight. It was a tactical but um, overly aggressive and kind of a dirty fight at times before the entire night changed with a left hook from Caleb Plant. I talked about it in the pre-fight analysis. Caleb Plant's left hook is one of the best in the sport. Here, trigger-like. Extremely fast, extremely accurate, but the knock on Caleb Plant has been his power. He's not a big power puncher. Don't tell that to Anthony Durrell because he was left sleeping in the middle of the ring, looking up at the lights, didn't know what hit him. Um, and then, of course, Caleb Plant came with the gravedigger-type taunt to him after as if he was burying him with a shovel. Um, I don't know how everyone else feels about taunts and stuff. It got a lot of slack online. People were upset, especially the referee jumped in and, and trying to get him out of the ring. Listen, this is boxing. Like I said earlier, this is the wild, wild west. I personally like it. I like talking, taunting and trash talking and all that stuff in my boxing. I think it makes more um, for entertaining buildups. It makes people buy tickets, gets people hyped up. When guys are talking shit, if you don't back it up, you're going to get all that you said rubbed into your face. You can't sit there and say a guy has no power. Then you get knocked out by him and expect him not to trash talk you. Expect him not to taunt you. Expect him not to laugh at your downfall. 
comes with the territory. Granted, Anthony Israel was okay. I believe that Caleb Plant looked down at him before he did that taunt to kind of make sure, like, okay, this guy isn't dead in the ring or anything like that. He's hurt. He's knocked out, but he's going to get back up. He's going to be all right. I think, I'm pretty sure Caleb Plant kind of looked down and made sure that he was getting up before he started doing that. But either way, um, as long as the guy's not severely injured, I'm okay with it. I think it's it brings more to the sport. I get it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. People like sportsmanship and stuff like that. Hey, maybe you should watch golf or swimming or something like that. This is boxing. This is grown men doing grown men stuff. Things like this happen on a day-to-day basis in some of these guys' lives. In the ring for millions of dollars, you're risking your life. Um, animosity is spewed left and right throughout the buildup to the fight. What do you expect a guy to do when he comes up with a huge victory like that? Great victory for Caleb Plant, especially coming off the loss for Canelo. Um, I think that is pretty much as good as it possibly could have been, went for him. Uh, what's next for Caleb Plant? I'd love to see the David Benavides fight. You've got uh, David Morrell out there. You have Charlo taunting a move up, really, to 168. He's been campaigning at 160 for a while. He holds the title there. But I'd like to see him move up to 168, and Caleb Plant would be ready for him. It looked like Caleb Plant was trash-talking uh, Jamal Charlo. I believe that was Jamel Charlo. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that was Jamel Charlo because it looked like Jamel's fiance there. So I think Caleb Plant may have mixed up the twins when he looked in the audience and saw one of the Charlos. But nonetheless, I'd like to see Jamal versus Caleb Plant. I'd like to see David Benavidez versus Caleb Plant. I think the Benavidez fight is probably the biggest. Both guys have a history of, of animosity, like I mentioned earlier. Animosity can sell fights, and these guys definitely have the history of um, getting into altercations in a gym and things like that. These guys don't like each other, and they'd make a great styles clash. you got the pressure, power puncher, and David Benavidez, and the slick counter and the movement of Caleb Plant. It's really a classic styles clash, and I can't wait to see it. Hopefully we get that next year. Put that on the wish list for 2023. So I think that card delivered overall. Um, the headliner, no fight really in that card went the distance, actually. But the two headliners got great KOs. Um, definitely will be mentioned for KO of the year in a few months here. But um, overall, the Showtime pay-per-view card definitely was worth it to me. I got two great knockouts. I got a bunch of action. Emmanuel Rodriguez also was on the undercard. He did great in a slight upset victory over Gary Antonio Russell. Definitely check that out if you haven't seen the performance by Emmanuel Rodriguez. I think that kind of just um, raises the stock for now you're in a way, if anything. The Japanese sensation, the monster. He's been killing everybody. He whacked that guy in two rounds. Made him look like nothing. That's a former world champion. He's making great fighters look average. That's what Naoya anyway is doing. He should be fighting soon. But moving on, also on that day, <clears throat> we saw Devin Haney in the rematch against Cambosos. George Cambosos, again, was kind of out of his league. He, of course, was going to take the, the rematch. It was in the contract. It was in his home country. He tried a different game plan this time around. It simply didn't work. In the first round, it definitely worked. He won that round. He came in, tried to switch stances, um, trying to confuse Devin Haney, show him different looks, but it didn't work. Devin Haney adjusted extremely well, extremely fast. Uh, that's probably the most impressive thing was how quick he adjusted to what Cambosos was doing. Cambosos himself was even impressed after the fight, mentioning to Haney that he didn't realize how fast he was going to be able to figure him out. In the first fight, Devin Haney won with a jab. In this fight, I felt he won with more power punches. He kind of walked 
uh, Cambos was down, especially towards the end of that fight. He was definitely looking for a stoppage. He did not get the stoppage, but he looked impressive. He dominated the fight pretty much from the second round on. Um, I thought it was a better performance than the first one. The first one, again, he used the jab extremely well. He used distance extremely well. But this fight, he was really trying to make a statement. He was trying to hurt Cambosos. I think he did hurt his pride, that's for sure. But he also cut Cambosos' face up pretty well. There was a time late in the fight where I thought Cambosos could have got the stoppage. But, excuse me, I thought Haney could have got the stoppage. But Cambosos is a tough guy. Definitely didn't come there to lay down. Shout out to him. He he truly gave it his all in both of these fights. He's just on a different level than Devin Haney. Devin Haney is a cut above the rest right now at 135. And we're going to have to see, obviously, what Shakur Stevenson does, who's just moved up to the division. But for the guys that are actively fighting at 35, I think Devin Haney is above and beyond. Um, also on that night, we saw the women's card. All women's card headlined by Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall. Excellent performance by Clarissa Shields. She tried to bully the bully, if you will. She was using counters, counter power shots on her back foot, um, really just throwing with the, the other champion, Savannah Marshall. Marshall was impressive. She was very competitive in this fight. I don't think she did enough to come close to winning, but she did proved that she belonged in there with Clarissa Shields, who many people call the quote greatest woman of all time. But Savannah Marshall was her toughest test. She's the only person to ever beat Clarissa Shields in the amateurs or pros. And Savannah Marshall went out there to prove a point. She was high volume. She was throwing big shots. But Clarissa Shields was just too skilled and had too much will. She was in there to bully the bully. And she wanted to stop Savannah Marshall. Clarissa Shields doesn't have big punching power. That's the one knock on her. But she was punching like she did. She was throwing big power shots. She wasn't trying to win with a jab. She wasn't trying to just outpoint Savannah Marshall. She wanted to stop Savannah Marshall in her home country. Did she do it? No. She didn't really hurt her. But she was she was landing huge power shots. Go back and watch that fight. One of the best women's fights I've seen. It was just all action. It lived up to the hype. hype and... Clarissa just showed that she really is everything she says she is in this woman box, woman's boxing. She is the best in the world right now. And she left no doubt. She left no doubt. She went for it. She was very smart. She was conservative at times, um, kind of resting against the ropes, but still throwing and still dodging and slipping, but not wasting energy moving around. She didn't, she moved, she pinned herself against the ropes where she knew she had nothing behind her. She didn't have to worry about um, moving on her back foot. She could stand there and defend and slip punches and land shots of her own. Andre Ward actually on the telecast kind of warned her of not doing that because he said it appeared or it could appear to the judges that she's tired and she's being forced to be on the ropes. But in reality, Clarissa Shields, that was part of her game plan to rest a little bit, stay on the ropes, but still land big shots. And I think she did it brilliantly. Anytime that Marshall really tried to land something, or did, when, even when she was successful, when she landed something big on Clarissa Shields, Shields responded immediately. She never let her get the best of her. If she did one round, the next round, Clarissa Shields would dominate. If she got the best of a moment of the round, Clarissa Shields would turn the tide and end the round strong. Every time she responded. That's what true champions do. Excellent performance. Also on that card, you had Alicia Bumgarner, the underdog defeating Michaela Mayer. 
another good fight. Not as good as the main event. Very tactical early. Um, Bumgarner was very patient. I think that was the best part of her game. She was extremely patient. She wasn't trying to rush anything. She wasn't trying to land big shots early. She was just trying to box. She was boxing and moving with Mayer. And I don't think Mayer expected that. That Alicia was faster and quicker. And she was always first with that jab. That's what won the fight. I thought she jumped out to like a 3-0 lead. Um, Mayer did make adjustments. Did turn it around. Did make it extremely close late in the fight. But Bumgarner just did a little bit more. And I think both women kind of took their foot off the gas in like the 11th and 12th. Especially that 12th round. Where, I mean, the 10th round, excuse me, women's boxing only goes to 10 rounds. But in the 10th round, where it looked like, okay, it's pretty close. Both people kind of need to make a statement. Neither one of them did. And I think that's the one knock I had on the fight. It was really good. It was fun. It was competitive. But it left me wanting a little more. Hopefully these two meet again. Maybe not immediately, but, but further down the road. And then we get a better fight. I think the rematch would be a better fight. Both people, both women have been in the ring with each other and kind of felt each other's power and stuff like that. They know what they can get away with. I think the second fight will be better. But overall, it was an awesome display from the woman. Awesome card. Competitive. Um, entertaining. Pretty much everything you could ask for. I looked forward to seeing all four of these women compete again. They gained fans in me if I wasn't already. Obviously, I, I mentioned I was a fan of Bumgarner and Shields before this event. But now I'll definitely be paying more attention to Savannah Marshall and Michaela Mayer. All four women should be proud of themselves. It was a massive event. Go back and watch it if you haven't. It's on ESPN+. Plus. Definitely the best women's card I've ever seen in my life. So hopefully they can capitalize on the success women have had in boxing in 2022. It's definitely the biggest year they've ever had. So another another reason why this is such a great era, you have a whole gender who's having their greatest renaissance of all time. So now, hopefully they can take the momentum that they built in 2022, carry that over to next year, and continue this renaissance and continue to put on great events. But that's it for that week, October 15th. Great day overall, everything delivered. But now we're getting to this weekend. This Saturday, October 29th, on ESPN Plus, you've got the return of Vasily Lomachenko taking on contender Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz, I've been watching him for the past couple of years, uh, mainly because he's from my state. He's from Massachusetts. He's been on Showbox. He's been on ESPN before. He beat the hell out of Jamel Herring in his last fight. Really impressive win for him there. He's a tough guy. He's undefeated. He has one draw. But needless to say, Jermaine Ortiz is a tough competitor. I just don't know if he has enough tools to take care of a guy like Vasily Lomachenko. Lomachenko, one of the best fighters on the planet. People think I'm knocking him recently. I'm not knocking him. I'm just confused as to why he's on the pound-for-pound pound top 10. And that's not a knock on him. That's just saying that there are other guys that are doing more than he's doing currently. Lomachenko, his resume is great. He has the most, or not the most, he is the quickest ever to be a three-time world champion. He became a three-division world champion in less than 10 professional fights. That is insane, unheard of, probably will never be done again. But I'm talking about 2022 Lomachenko. And in my opinion, 2022 Lomachenko is not the same as 2017 Lomachenko. Just isn't. Wear and tear, got a couple losses. He's just not the same guy. But he is still a dominant fighter. He is still going to beat the majority of the guys in his division. The footwork is almost second to none. I personally... 
prefer Shakur Stevenson's footwork. I think it's more clean and a little bit more purpose to it. But as far as flashiness, as far as positioning, uh, Vasily Lomachenko is pretty much second to none. And I think that's going to be the factor here. Jermaine Ortiz doesn't have slow feet by any means, but Lomachenko and his angles are just on a different level. Ortiz has a decent jab. Ortiz actually switches stances fairly well. So I think that can cause a little bit of confusion for Lomachenko early in the fight. He's a good athlete. He throws combinations. But I think later in the fight, when I'm talking round 8, 9, 10, that is when Lomachenko is going to take over. That is when he's going to start landing big shots because Lomachenko is number one in power punch rate in the entire sport of boxing. I believe he lands something like 48% of his power shots. Number one. Total connect rate. He's second in the entire sport landing 37% of all the shots he throws. His opponent's connect rate is only third in the entire sport. 18% of his opponent's shots are landing. So Lomachenko, not only is he doing damage on the inside, he's evading you. He's moving out of the way, and he's also one of the best defenders in the sport. Very underrated defense by Lomachenko. The movement is what sets it up, and the footwork is what sets it up because he hits you from one angle, spins around you when you're throwing, He's no longer there, and he's hitting you with another combination. It's brilliant stuff by Lomachenko. I think we're going to see some vintage Loma in this fight, but Ortiz is going to bring it. Ortiz is going to be competitive early. I expect fireworks early, and then, like I said, Lomachenko is going to take over late in the fight. Ortiz is going to fade a little bit. I don't know if he's going to stop him, but I think a unanimous decision is the safest bet for you. What's next is what's going to be interesting. That's when we're going to get to really big fights, because you have Devin Haney, who has all the belts at 135. You have... Gervonta Davis still lurking. You have Ryan Garcia, who's still in that division, as far as I know, at least for one more fight. You have Keyshawn Davis, who's on the rise. You have Shakur Stevenson, who just came up. So we're going to see what's next. I personally expect Devin Haney to move up. It's tough for him to make the weight. Shakur Stevenson just got to 135. So I think the fight to make, if Devin Haney does move up and vacate his belts, is Lomachenko versus Shakur Stevenson for one of the vacant titles. That has all the makings of a classic. Two great amateur fighters, great professional fighters, highly skilled, highly technical, defensively sound, different styles. That's like the recipe for a masterpiece. Can't wait to see it. Hopefully that's what's next. The Lomachenko versus Ortiz fight isn't the only good fight on the card. This is actually a sneaky, pretty good card. You have Tiger Johnson returning... He's an Olympian. You want to watch him. His opponent isn't anything to write home about, but definitely t keep an eye out for Tiger Johnson. Also on the card, you got Richard Torres Jr. He's coming off a sensational knockout. He's a heavyweight. He's also on the rise. Keep an eye out for him. The co-main should be a good one. Rob Cy Ramirez against Jose Romero. 10 rounds featherweights. That is something special. Ramirez is the real deal. He, he lost his pro debut, but he's been on fire since. Gold medalist, beat Shakur Stevenson in the Olympics. Definitely keep an eye on him. He's fun to watch. Also on the card, which may be the best fight on this card. Deep on the undercard. I don't know why it's so deep. Hopefully this gets some time. But Eric Mondragon versus Haven Brady Jr. Eight rounds, junior lightweights. This fight is going to bang. Trust me. Pay attention to this one. Two undefeated guys early in their career trying to make a statement. That is going to be fireworks. Mondragon versus Brady don't miss that fight. But this isn't the only card of the night. We also have a good card on DAZN, headlined by Jojo Diaz and William Zapata. For my money, this is the best fight of the weekend.
Jojo Diaz is always in fun fights. He always brings it. Whether he's the underdog or the favorite, you can't count him out ever. He brings it nonstop. He'll fight through adversity, fight through cuts, fight through anything. He gives you good work for 12 straight rounds. If you can beat him, you're going to have to earn it. William Zapata is going to have to earn it. He's 26 years old. He's kind of still on the rise a little bit later in his career. Mexican southpaw with real power. 26 victories, 23 knockouts, zero losses. This is his toughest test. Can he get by Jojo Diaz? I don't know. This is a 50-50 type fight. This is why, to me, this is the fight of the weekend. All action. Doesn't have the huge names. Doesn't have the Lomachenko-type superstar status. But this is going to be a good fight. Two southpaws that can throw with power, with technique. Both have good IQ. This is going to be a fun one. Do not miss this fight. It's on zone. Definitely check it out. Even if you're watching the Lomachenko fight live, go back and watch this one. I'm sure it'll be worth your time. Also, this weekend, you have... Jake Paul, <laughs> the circus fighter, basically. The guy who brings these freak MMA crossover fights. He's fighting Anderson Silva, MMA legend, one of the best UFC fighters of all time. But he's fighting in a boxing ring. He's not uh, unfamiliar with boxing. He has had professional fights before. I believe he only has one loss. But he beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. fairly convincingly. He knocked out another MMA fighter in his last fight. So... Um, I'm really not sure how this is going to go. He definitely has skill. He definitely has technique. He has experience, but he is older. Um, I don't know if his punch resistance is there, but Jake Paul is going to be in there to take his head off. We know how Jake Paul fights. He isn't the most technical. He isn't the most skilled. He isn't the most slick, but he does have real power. He does have a right hand that when it lands, it does damage. We've seen it time and time again. If you're not a boxer, if you're not... um, on your A-game, if you're not defensively blessed, if you're not a guy who spends hours and hours in the gym, you're going to get knocked out by Jake Paul. It is, it's just what it is. This guy, as much of a clown as he acts, as much of a goofball as this kid is, he is in the gym constantly. He is in there with real fighters. He's in there with real trainers. He knows what he's doing in there, and he's slowly getting better. Is he going to be a world champion? Absolutely not. But he is a guy... That can take a guy who isn't a boxer every day, like Anderson Silva, who's an MMA fighter, who's a little bit up there in age, and he can knock him out. So I think this fight is really interesting, because this is definitely his toughest opponent. I think if Anderson Silva plays it safe and uses his jab and just in there to win, strictly to win, not to really be entertained, not to really hurt Jake Paul, but just to win, I think he can win this fight easily behind a jab. Easily. But... And it's a big but. Anderson Silva is an entertainer. Anderson Silva is known for flashy knockouts and um, taunting his opponent and playing to the crowd. If he gets in that, if he gets into that and really is just worried about entertaining, he can get himself knocked out very quickly. I don't know what's going to happen here. This is why I'm definitely going to pay attention to this fight. Obviously, the other fights I mentioned are much more important for the sport, much more um, technical ability, much more relevance when it comes to rankings and things like that. So obviously my eyes will be on the other fights more than this one, but I will check it out. I am interested in seeing what this kid can do. He does bring eyes to the table. He does bring pay-per-views. He does bring ticket sales. He is an interesting dude. Um, He's doing great things for other fighters as well, getting them paid more than they've ever been paid. So I think he definitely is good for the sport. So I I want to see how he can 
handle a guy like Anderson Silva? Is he going to go in there and just get completely shut out? That is a possibility. Is he going to knock Anderson Silva out? I think that is a possibility. If I'm a betting man, I'd throw a little bit on the Jake Paul knockout because I do believe Anderson Silva will be his own worst enemy. He will try and press it. He will try and do something fun and entertaining. And in that, he could get himself knocked out. But we'll see. That's why we watch the fights. Anything can happen in this sport. We've seen upsets before. We've seen ridiculousness before. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. But we have a good fun weekend ahead. Again, let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on the fights that we are getting. There are some more on the horizon. And I will break them down next week. But this week, we have three different cards. A little bit of something for everybody. Definitely tune in. Lomachenko on ESPN. Um, Zapata versus Jojo Diaz on DAZN. And then, of course, the Jake Paul Silva fight is, I believe, a pay-per-view on Showtime. So check those out. Enjoy the fights. I'll be back next week. Give me that five-star review. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Thank you guys for your support. I'm out.